0: wherever you get your podcasts Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald As far as I can see I always want to get in the Irish team and that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country and if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games that they're the ones that get you picked they are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in the team and starting the team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets?
1: This is an Irish independent podcast.
0: Welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry. How do we protect and support our children's mental health? With the advent of phones and social media, our children are growing up in a world full of comparison. In the book, Happy Families, Dr. Beth Mosley teaches us about the evidence-based answers to child mental health problems that are faced in the home. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by consultant clinical psychologist, Dr. Beth Mosley, MBE. Beth, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me here today. Listen,
0: we're delighted to have you here. So uh, pulling back to the intro, like with phones and social media, our children, they really are growing up in a world of comparison and images and likes and shares and all of that kind of stuff. And it's a very challenging place to grow up.
1: Absolutely. I think it's different from the world I grew up in. And I think that sometimes makes it hard for me as a parent to feel uh, like I can relate to some of the challenges that my teenagers particularly have. And even my youngest child, who's 11, seems to be permanently glued to something on YouTube or um, on the Xbox. Um, and I think for me as a parent, knowing all that psychological <laughs> information, I'm constantly aware of how what's the impact on, on young my children, the young people I work with, their relationships with others. And their relationships with me, because often I am their lowest priority. So it's really hard because I'm quite often keen to say, let's do this. Let's go out and let's come and have a conversation. And my kids look at me like, what? Why would we do that? Um, So I think it's really changed the way we relate to one another and the way our children relate to the world, as well as the level of information that they've got coming in to make sense of. Um, and certainly, I think that has a big impact on well-being.
0: I love it when experts come on and say, "You know what? I'm dealing with it too. <laughs> it's not all Hell perfect yeah. in my home." <laughs> and that's, and I think people love to hear that because that's real, right? It's, it's, it makes it far more. Relatable, I think. How common are, are, are mental health issues amongst children? What are you seeing on a on a, on a practice level?
1: I think it's it's really interesting how we decide, define mental health issues because there's the kind of whole mental illness where people might be diagnosed with a mental illness, like um, depression, for example. Um, and then there's mental health, which is a spectrum, really, because it's like our health. We can have good mental health and we can have poor mental health. And I think depending on what's happening in our lives, depending on our individual circumstances, that can have a huge impact on how we're feeling on any given day. And we know that many young people are struggling with their mental health. We hear it all the time in the news. We know that the rate of young people who are presenting with mental illness, so to speak, in terms of diagnosable difficulty, has gone up. So, used to be one in nine you know some years ago and now it's gone to one in five wow um so a third of young people are likely to struggle with anxiety at some point in their childhood uh, so I think it's becoming more and more of a challenge for us as parents if you work with young people if you're a teacher um, if you work in any of the kind of Areas of, of social care or education or even mental health services, we are seeing this massive increase of distress really in young people trying to make sense of who they are, how they fit in, or just grapple with the extra demands of life. And I think COVID has a part to play in this um, because I think it really destabilized so many young people's lives for that period of time. And it's, it's taken some young people um, time to recover from that.
0: And for parents who are listening in and they have concerns around their children's mental health, what's the process in terms of what should they do? Presumably the first step is to go and seek out professional help or is it to sit down and just chat to the child or what's the best way to, I suppose, approach a concern?
1: I think when you're worried about your child, you kind of it can go into a bit of a panic mode and, and you sort of almost want to get, I need a professional to look at this and check, is this normal or is this is this not normal, do I need extra help? I think there's a natural inclination for lots of parents to want to seek help. And then when you go to seek help, you often find it's quite difficult to get because our services are really under huge amounts of pressure and there's long waits for families. I would say, you know, distress is something we all experience throughout our lives and our children will certainly experience. And relationships are the key protective factor for well-being. So they're, knowing that young people or adults have supportive relationships in their life, that is the main thing that is going to protect your health and your well-being. So anything we can do to understand what's going on in a child's life through the relationship you have with them. So like you just talked about, having a conversation, getting inside your child's world, trying to understand things from their point of view is absolutely one of the best starting places. And quite often, it's really difficult to have those conversations because as an adult, you're stuck in your own mind, in your own panic and worry. And a lot of adolescents say to me, I told my parents and they completely freaked out. Their face told me everything I needed to know. They were angry with me. And, and I talked to the parent and they're like, I wasn't angry. I was just really worried. And one of the things I talk to parents a lot about is, especially during adolescence, when young people look at their faces when they're telling you something that they're a bit ashamed of or they're a bit worried about disclosing, they're looking at your facial expressions intently. And anything they see that's negative, they immediately think the worst case scenario and often associate your worried face with it being an angry face so I think there's something about how do we have these conversations with our young people is it the right time is it the right place and are we doing the conversation at the right pace because we often start conversations with what's wrong or it's off the back of some event where something's fallen apart and what we need to do is just make sure that it's a good time for the young person to have that conversation, a good time for us as adults, so we're not rushed off our feet or rushing out the door, or worrying about another thing that we're trying to deal with, that it's at the right place. So it feels a good space, which a lot of young people say, I hate it when my parent comes in my room and sits in my bed and says, we need to talk. I'd much prefer it if my parent just had a conversation with me on a walk or while we're doing something together in the kitchen or when we're on a car journey. So doing another task, being able to break up the intensity of that by doing a task together. And if it's younger children, just playing, you know, playing alongside them with the Lego and just seeing what comes up and creating a space of curiosity so you're wanting to connect to your young person so that they're in a place where they feel like they can find the words that maybe match their feelings because for a lot of young people, that's really hard, actually being able to articulate what's going on. Um, and then the right pace. So just giving your child or young person the space um, and the, that really, that encouragement, you'll know, is that, you know how hard it is to tell someone something difficult and what you need to do that. And we often forget to do that with our own children. We kind of just want them to tell us now. Um, and I think if you can set that foundation up and you can think about being curious and putting yourself in your child's shoes, then often you can have a completely different sort of conversation. And that might make sense of some behavior that you've been really worried about, you know, your child. Is hiding themselves in their room all the time or they're slamming the doors or you're worried they might have self-harmed if we can actually have those soothing conversations and get to the, the bottom of the puzzle the mystery what's going on for you what's happened what's going on at school what's happening in your friendships um then actually we can start to make sense of what we're seeing help our young people make sense of that and then all of a sudden you're in a much better place to think about you know, is this something we can manage together through our relationship, or for a bit of extra support from help or help from school, or is this something that we maybe need to speak to our local parent helpline or our mental health service if we're really worried about our young person?
0: So, what you're really saying is to all the parents listening in, it's about patience uh, to to an un an unpatient cohort who are stressed, who are, who are stressed, But it is it's about it's it's the patience of it and giving it time and. Becoming better at active listening and being a really good it's, listener, as opposed to, to 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 you know, as opposed to to jumping the gun a little bit, but that listening piece is crucial.
1: And, and I think the other, absolutely, and I think part of that listening piece, and this is something I have to practice on myself all the time, is when we see or experience difficult feelings like anger, sadness, distress, we kind of want to. Get away from the feeling. We we don't want it. It doesn't feel good. And if we see that in our children, we want to take it away. We don't want our children to be experiencing those those feelings. But what I've learned, I'm learning still to do, even all these years of training, is tuning into that feeling can tell us something so important about what is not going right in our world or our young person's world. And often the things that we're distressed about are the things we care the most about. And they tell us something really important about who we are as people. If someone I really care about and I've had a good friendship with suddenly dumps me or leaves an awful kind of bitchy message on a, on a group chat, that's going to really hurt. And it's going to make me question, you know, my wider friendship group. It's going to make me question loyalty, trust, all of those things that I value as a person. And that's okay to feel that feeling. It's important because it's all about being a human being Um, or if someone I, uh, you know, I I lose someone because because they die. I lose a grandparent or, or someone who really is important to me in my life. And I feel that deep sadness and loss and grief and bereavement that tells me about what's important to me, relationships, feeling cared for, love and belonging. And I think if we can help our children tune in to what they're feeling rather than problem-solve them away from it, we can can teach them really about how these feelings are telling them about important things in their lives that we can then probably do some problem-solving with. So it's that listening and tuning in, really digging into what does this mean for for you right now? What does this show about who you are as a person, what you care about? And then when you've done that connection bit, you can then go on to collaboratively problem solving and thinking about, are there any solutions? Are there any ways that you can kind of, move forward and resolve the challenge so if it's a friendship something that's happened within a friendship group you've done that validation you've kind of said yeah this makes sense this makes complete sense there's nothing wrong with you. your kids are so worried or adolescents so worried. there's something wrong with me for feeling like this and then you can say well what do we need to do what do uh, what can I help you do which will move you towards what's important from for you rather than away from it because I've got instinct with things like friendship breakups is withdraw, bitch out, you know, do retaliate. Well, if friendship <laughs> and and loyalty are the my key values, that's why I'm feeling so distressed about. like if I go down that route, I'm just gonna feel worse. If I withdraw from everyone and say, that's it, I'm not investing in any more relationships. I'm out of here well, then you're actually going to feel worse because the reason you're so upset in the first place is because you value friendships, you value loyalty. And then from there, you can, you've got a great place to say, well, how can we move you towards what's important to you, not away from it by what you do next? So it, Does that I, make sense? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And it's very much a, you know, a learning process for the parent and the child and, and, and teaching the child about things. And of course, for parents, that can be quite hard, can't it? Because in terms of that concept of helicopter parenting and kind of, you know, not wanting your child to have tough days or bad days or upset days or whatever it may be. But actually, they're the things that will, will upskill them for the future and, and to deal with tough times in the future.
1: So definitely. And um, my eldest has just gone to university and he came back in his consolidation week, which is a whole term. Um, And he was talking about some of the challenges being with a new group of flatmates and some of the kind of juggling being in a d- new city, new relationships. And he was talking about managing those demands. And I just there were lots of things that have gone wrong in my experience of life and, and he, for him as well. Lots of kind of family holidays where we've we've had a great time, but we've also fallen out with family members and we've had to work through that. And I just thought, you know what, all of the things that he's had to deal with and manage well and we've learned through and we've kind of overcome them are now a man, meaning he can completely manage the stage of his life. And it was just like the most wonderful moment as a parent because it was like, actually, if those things hadn't happened, he wouldn't be handling this so well right now. And I think that's a bit to hold on to. You are your kind of role as a parent is to get your child to adulthood to be an independent young person who can have good relationships and make good decisions. And you're kind of scaffolding them to do that. And if we do too much of it for them, they're going to struggle when they get to that point to be able to do it for themselves and it is a challenge because we definitely don't want to see our children suffering but that that kind of yeah learning how to manage that distress enables your children to cope with life because unfortunately life is not suffering free
0: chatting about the well-being abacus
1: yeah so the well-being abacus is so you imagine abacus is a seven ways to well-being and and it's really a way of It's a health way. If you've got an abacus at home with a younger child, you can actually get your abacus out and think about the beads being kind of one to ten, and think about those seven different areas of your life. And the first one is connection with others. As I mentioned earlier, this is such an important element of our health and well-being. We are um, so driven by our relationships with others, and, um, and whether that's our parents, our family members, our friends, and particularly during adolescence, peer relationships are really critical. And, and if you imagine you were trying to ask your child about how things were going for them on the connecting with others part first kind of line of the abacus you could say give me a score out of 10 and ask them to try to choose on the score of 10 with 10 being the best it's ever been and one being the worst and then they might use a five or a six and you can kind of explore with them what's going on what would make you know that five or six if Um, You know, what's stopping it being a four? So you're able to kind of really get that more detailed information about what might be going on in that child's life. So they could be saying, well, I've got my best friend, Katie, but, you know, I'm finding it really hard at break time because I find it overwhelming because it's so busy and Katie's in a different part of the school. And I find that really hard or I'm not seeing enough of Katie at the weekend. So it's, it's a way of going through the different areas of well-being. So it, it, the seven key areas are connecting with others are physical activity, which we know is absolutely critical to well-being and, and physical health as well. Nutrition. So the food mood roller coaster I talk about in the book. Um, sleep was really important. And we know things like anxiety and low mood have a big impact on sleep. And then sleep has a big impact on how anxious we feel our mood because it's very much linked in with our survival center of our brain which is becomes much more sensitive and alert if we don't get enough sleep um and then we've got noticing now and, and one of the things that screens can prevent us from doing is noticing now and being in the moment and our modern day life is all about what happened yet a minute ago and what's going to happen next and very little time spent just being in the moment um Giving. So we know being kind and giving are key parts of well-being. And if we can just make the effort to do more kind acts in a day, that actually has proved been proven to improve our well-being compared to other evidence-based things like cognitive behavioural therapy, would you believe? Um, and then the last one is learning. So being learning something new. And so if you can think about an abacus with one line for each of those things you could think about how all those things are connected in your child's life so if they have had a bad night's sleep their relationship with others might drop down from a six to a four that day you know your capacity to learn your concentration drops down to a two and that then is going to affect how you're feeling what your well-being is is that day. does that kind of make sense absolutely so it's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's it's a tool it, 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 for
0: it's a balanced reflection on, on on the different aspects of a child of a child's life, where that you and the abacus just gives you a really simple way to be able to to enable the discussion around the different areas. It's very clever, very simple, but it's very clever. People will, will be tuning in, dying to learn about how they react to their children's behaviour. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know you've got some really kind of uh, simple things around this, or in connection before correction. And I'm fascinated to hear about this one.
1: Well, you know, the brain house is a great um, analogy and and I can't take the glory for that Dan Sigo who's an American psychiatrist has um sort of created this idea of thinking about the brain as divided into an upstairs and a downstairs and the downstairs is our alert system it's our kind of fight flight and where all our emotions are and it's very well developed when we're born and the upstairs is like the thinking part of our brain it's where we communicate it's where we are logic and reason, language, you know, organizational skills, all of that sits. And that part of the brain takes 24 years to fully develop, um, which means until you're 24 years old, that part of the brain is growing and developing. And the two parts of the brain are connected, literally, in the brain. And we want the upstairs and downstairs brain talking to one another. We want to make sure that when we feel strong feelings, we can also think about what they mean and take necessary action. Um, and when something big happens, particularly to younger children, and their upstairs brain is less developed and the connection, the staircase between the two is less developed, what we know is, is that the the, the upstairs brain just literally flips off the, the downstairs brain and emotion completely takes over. And you know, a good example of that is if a two year old says, I want a biscuit, and you say, no, your dinner's in, in five minutes, you're not having a biscuit, and they throw themselves on the floor and they're screaming and crying and they're not happy. I want a biscuit, I want a biscuit. That's a right, perhaps, yeah, we've all seen that probably if you've got a two-year-old, and that's your child's flip their lid, their just downstairs brain is completely taken over. And what they really need from you in that moment is you to kind of be their upstairs brain and connect and soothe their downstairs brain so they're not feeling like, they're under threat or something terrible is going to happen so if you shout at your child at that point that lid is going to stay flipped for longer if you can come down to your two-year-old's level and say oh I get it you really want a biscuit but you know dinner's going to be in two minutes then your child is much more likely to start to come and sit in your lap and be comforted by you and accept because they're their downstairs and upstairs brain are being reconnected. And the challenge for us as parents is in these high drive moments, our upstairs brain often flips off too. So we're in this kind of scenario where we're kind of creating more drama and more flipped lids. And so a big task around this connection before correction is how do we provide that soothing connection so our child feels seen and heard in that moment so that they could upstairs lid their upstairs brain reconnects the lid gets back on and we can start to think together about what next and it takes a little bit of time like it takes 30 seconds Um, but that 30 seconds can feel like a lifetime when you're in that zone or in a supermarket and your child's lying on the floor screaming (laughs) you know (laughs) but ultimately this little tiny bit of brain science and it's all I mean I'm trying to describe it very quickly to you right now but it is all in the book but it—it that honestly can be life-changing for a parent because if you can learn to take a deep breath and fake it to make it sometimes in terms of just giving your child the experience of feeling that they're being understood in that moment they'll very much more quickly um, come back to a place where they'll be willing to collaborate with you. Um, If you go straight sometimes it doesn't work I must admit with my 14 year old daughter she almost needs a big reaction from me to start to think logically. Mm -hmm. So different children respond in different ways. But, you know, it's generally across the board, that calming initial response is going to help your child get their thinking brain back online. And sometimes you have to be the thinking brain for them and that's what that's doing is you're teaching your child to make that that staircase, that connection between the two, stronger. And that's your job as a parent, really, is so that by the time your kid gets to ten and asks for a biscuit, they're not going to throw themselves on the floor and and start screaming and crying. Their upstairs brain's going to go, fair enough, dinner's ready in five minutes. On, I'll, I'll sneak a biscuit out after <laughs> dinner. You know. <laughs>
0: Hopefully, anyway. So I suppose to summarise the, the 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 twenty minutes that we've chatted, it's about patience, it's about calmness, and the parent kind of you know uh, applying that to the situation if they are concerned to have to chat through the abacus kind of concept with their child and kind of see where you know the issues may be, and then obviously seek professional help if if needs be. Your book Happy Happy Families is out now and it's available online. I'm sure and in good bookstores here. And people want to find you on Instagram. Where do you live?
1: It's just Dr Beth Mosley on Instagram and TikTok.
0: Amazing, Beth. It's been fabulous catching up with you. Thank you so much for taking the time after a very busy day to join us today. We really appreciate it, folks. That is it for another episode of Real Health with Me, Carl Henry. As ever, you know where we are at Carl Henry PT on Instagram, Real at Independent.ie. Have a wonderful week. Apply some of those principles that we chatted through. That abacus is a really good idea, not only for the children in your life but also for yourself as well. So have a look at the abacus and uh, you can you can see where your own areas to improve are too. We'll see you next week for more real health. Slán so go fo.